0: Luke chapter 5 in our Bibles. We're going to be dealing with the first 11 verses. Let's just read through them so we can get an overarching view of the text and the story, what's happening, this historical account here, and then we'll break it down. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret, that is the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets, and he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break and they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats So that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for preserving in your word this historical account before us. And just in a cursory reading, we understand that there is such depth to this interaction between our Lord Jesus and that man whom you loved, Peter. And so, Lord, we ask that you would illuminate the truths of this interaction to our hearts. And, Lord, that you would not only illuminate, but you would help us to apply the truths that are here. That, Lord, you would issue a clarion call today. That you would issue calls into our lives to follow you into your mission, into your work in this world. Lord, we believe that you're working in the world. We believe that you're working in the world around us. We believe that you're already at work in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, and amongst our friends. I believe with every fiber of my being that you're beckoning every member of the body of Christ into that work. Well, talk to us about it today, Lord. Invite us, and we ask that by your beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit, the invitation would be irresistible today, and that men and women would say yes to you. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You guys ever heard of Sir Ernest Shackleton? Great name. Sir Ernest Shackleton. You might have seen the movie. Uh, You might have read the book. But if you're not familiar, in 1914, he set out from England with a crew of men uh, to journey to Antarctica. And the journey and what unfolded in the midst of it, it's a stuff of legend, though it's actual history. It's just unbelievable. They started their journey and they got just one day sail away from Antarctica. And when they were just a day away from their goal, the ship became stuck in the ice. The ship's name was Endurance. And it became trapped in the ice. And it was trapped there for 10 months. And after 10 months, the ice began to shift and it just crushed the hull of that ship. And the men had to get off the ship, and there they camped on the ice for five more months. Ten months on the boat, stuck in the ice, and now five months camping out on the ice. And Sir Ernest Shackleton, great adventurer that he was, great leader that he was, set out with a couple of the men in one of the lifeboats from the ship. A little dinghy, remember this is about a hundred years ago. And he set out for South Georgia Island, which was 800 miles away. And it's the most legendary open ocean small boat journey that we know of. But before they left on that fateful trip, Sir Ernest Shackleton endeavored to gather a crew, a group of men around him who would take this journey with him. And his plan to do so was to place a newspaper ad in the London Times, And he placed that ad and we have the actual text of that ad before us. Here's the ad just as it read. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. (laughs) Honor and recognition in case of success. (laughs) Oh, sign me up. Sounds incredible. I can't wait to go. But the amazing thing is this, thousands of people responded to that ad, thousands of people. I'll tell you why. Because the invitation was signed, Sir Ernest Shackleton, and he had a reputation as a great explorer and a wonderful leader. And though the description of the trip was terrifying, the reputation of the man made it intriguing. And thousands responded. Now, what if Jesus were to put an ad in the newspaper for people to join him in his journey? For a crew to be gathered around him. I came up with my own little thing, what it might read like. Men and women wanted for difficult task of helping to build my church. You will often be misunderstood and rejected even by those working with you. You will face constant attacks from an invisible enemy. The world will hate you. You may never see the results of your labor, and your full reward will not come until after your work is completed. It may very well cost you your home, your ambition, even your life. It's the same sort of invitation. And yet what we know is that millions have responded to the invitation throughout history. Millions have responded. Why? Because the invitation was issued by a person named Jesus Christ. He is the King of glory. And He is on a mission. And He has invited humanity those whom He has redeemed particularly, you and I, the church, into that mission. And because of the one who made the invitation, I am telling you today, it is irresistible. You may not have heard it yet. You may not have responded to it yet, but let me tell you as one who has responded by grace, that it's a glorious journey. And it ought to be irresistible in your heart and in your ears today. Jesus, Accomplished the greatest thing the world has ever known reconciling sinful men and women to a holy God. Jesus draped himself in humanity, was born a virgin, subjected himself to this world, subjected himself to the Romans who beat him, who mocked him, who spit upon him, who scourged him, who nailed him to the cross, subjected himself to humiliation on that cross. And in so doing, by paying the price of sin, redeemed the world. And three days later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, rose from the dead. And so conquered sin and death and the devil and now gives us new life. Jesus Christ has done the greatest thing the world has ever known. And he is inviting you into it today. He's inviting you into that reality. Into that journey as it continues to unfold. Jesus said this at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He has issued the invitation and it is not for a select few. It is for every Christian. And yet so many hesitate and vacillate. So many resist the call as clear as it may be. As wonderful as the invitation is, as glorious an opportunity, as great an honor, so many hesitate, vacillate and even resist. Peter was one such man that resisted initially the call of Jesus when Jesus invited him into his ministry. In John chapter 1, Peter had his first encounter with Jesus and there Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. And Jesus said to Philip on that occasion, with whom Peter was intimately involved, he said, Philip, you follow me now. Peter, having just had his name changed from Simon, had the opportunity to follow Jesus at that time. He did not do so. That was a year before our text that we're looking at today. That was his first interaction with Jesus. Now his his second interaction with Jesus happened just a few weeks before our text today in Matthew chapter 4. And Peter and Andrew were fishing and they were casting out their nets. And Jesus comes along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter followed a little bit for a little while. But eventually he went back to fishing. He was initially attracted. He was intrigued. He followed a little bit for a little while. But within the matter of weeks he had gone back to his old life. He had gone back to fishing. And now in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is going to issue in effect his third invitation to this man. But this time Jesus will demonstrate in no uncertain terms who he is. That he is the king of glory. The Lord of heaven and earth. And this time, he won't invite Peter into just fishing for men. He will invite Peter to catch men. And there's a big difference between fishing and catching, don't you know? Now, in verse 1, It came about that while the multitude were pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. You've got to get the picture. The multitudes are huge at this point. They're crowding around Jesus to such an extent that Jesus is backed up against the Sea of Galilee. Many have witnessed his miracles. They've heard about his miracles, and they're coming for that reason, to be sure. But also, his teaching was unique. He didn't teach like any other rabbi Israel had ever known. He didn't quote other teachers. He spoke as one with authority. The very word of God came right from him because he was and is the word of God. And he spoke like nobody had ever spoke before. And people were intrigued and attracted. And the crowds were huge at this point. Jesus' back is up against the Sea of Galilee. And these people had needs. Boy, did they have needs. They were an oppressed people. Many of them a poor people. They were waiting and longing for the Messiah. And they were pressing into the person of Jesus. Looking to get their needs met. And Jesus. Looking for a little relief. And an opportunity. With his back pressed against the sea of Galilee. Notices two boats there. And he steps into one of the boats. Which was Peter's. Ladies and gentlemen. That was not a mistake. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he stepped into Peter's boat. And let me say this to you this morning. Peter's life was never the same once Jesus stepped into his boat. Peter would never be the same again. I want you to notice in this historical account when Jesus shows up. It says in verse 2 that he showed up while these men were washing their nets. Now, if you're a fisherman, first century Israel, There is no more tedious, mundane, laborious task than washing your nets. And they fished at night because it's hot in Israel. And during the day, the fish go deep in the Sea of Galilee. But at night, they come up more near the surface. And so they were able to catch them with their primitive nets. And so they would be out all night long fishing. And they'd come in in the morning. And what they had to do every single day is what they had to do. They had to wash their nets and they had to mend their nets. It's just one of those things that they had to do in life. It was the mundane, the tedious, the usual, and the necessary. And it is into this context that the King of Glory steps in. In the mundane, in the tedious, in the necessary, in the usual, the king of glory entered into Peter's life in a brand new and exciting way. Now, I want us to ask ourselves today if we are willing to be interrupted by Jesus. Peter had work to do, to be sure, but he was interrupted by Jesus as well as the multitudes that were very needy. Are you in your daily routine willing to be interrupted by Jesus? Is there even an openness in your heart that Jesus might want to step into your life today? That He might want to somehow use you? That He might want to engage with you in the mundane? Not when you're at church, not when you're reading your Bible in the morning, when you're punching the computer keys, when you're moving the boxes around. When you're filing the forms, when you're digging the ditches, when you're doing the homework, whatever it is that you do, are you even open to Jesus showing up there? Because he wants to be the Lord of your life and the Lord of your whole life. Are you ready in your routines for what Jesus might want to do? And I suggest to you that he wants to do more than you're probably ready for, more than you might realize. You see, Jesus is a great economist he doesn't waste time and he doesn't waste kingdom time. And if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are a member of his kingdom. And your time is now his time, all your time. And he doesn't waste time. He wants to use you right now in the context that you're in today. So often we we, we get this forward focused mentality. Maybe someday, maybe then, once I get this squared away, maybe in the future, I tell you, to varying degrees, Jesus wants to use you in the context that he has you in right now. He wants to give your life more meaning than it previously had. It's got wonderful meaning if you're a Christian because you've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and you're so precious to God the Father. It's got glorious meaning. But he wants to give it purpose. He wants it to count for eternity. He wants to work eternal works of weight through you. And he wants to do it wherever you find yourself now. So think about that. When Jesus showed up in the tedious, in the mundane, are you ready to be interrupted in the routine? Secondly, I want you to notice what Jesus was looking for. Notice what Jesus was looking for. He was looking for a platform, a pulpit, if you will. He stepped into Peter's boat and he sat down because in that culture, the rabbi sat down when they taught not stand up like I'm doing now. He sat down and the people would stand up. We ought to try that one week. I'll sit down, you all stand and I'll teach. Jesus, I mean, that's what Jesus did. Why don't I do that? I need to pray about that. He sat down and he began to teach from Peter's boat. Peter's boat became for him a platform, a pulpit, if you will. Now what was Peter's boat? Well, Peter's boat was to Peter his livelihood. Peter didn't eat without a boat. It was his occupation. It was his talent. It was his livelihood. His job is where he spent most of his time. It was his immediate Context it was, Peter was a fisherman. And his boat was necessary for his livelihood. And Jesus taught from the very center of Peter's livelihood. Peter's boat became the Lord's platform and pulpit. It remained Peter's boat, but it was commandeered by the king. It remained Peter's boat, but it was commandeered by the king. Jesus showed up and said, Peter, the Lord has need of it. Just like that donkey in Luke 19 during the triumphal entry. When he told his disciples, Go steal a donkey. If anybody says, Why are you stealing my donkey? Just tell them the Lord has need of it. He showed up to Peter's boat and says, The Lord has need of it. The king commandeered Peter's vessel that day. Are you willing to let Jesus commandeer your livelihood? Are you willing to let your life become a platform or a pulpit through which people learn about Jesus? Do we understand what an incredible privilege this is? That Jesus would want to instruct others about him through us? We wouldn't do that. When people select their biographers, famous people that are worthy of having a biography written of them, They're very careful. They're very careful to say this is the authorized biography. Other ones are unauthorized. They're very particular about how they are portrayed. About how the story of their life is told. Jesus has entrusted us with the gospel. The story of his life and his work. He has called us to relay the facts of it. To display the truths of it. And people learn about Jesus primarily through people that know Jesus. That is the primary way that people are going to discover who Jesus is through you and I. Second Corinthians 5 says that God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were begging through us. And He does. Remember throughout history, God chooses to work through people, not independent of them. And we have been entrusted with the word of reconciliation. The good news. Gospel means good news in the original language. It's been entrusted in earthen vessels, you and I. And we are His ambassadors, His representatives. Now an ambassador is one who is chosen. And chosen very carefully. An ambassador is one who is sent to represent the will and the truths and the plan and the desires and the character of the one whom they represent. And we are chosen ambassadors of Jesus Christ. It's incredibly beautiful. It is so humbling that he would use us. I wouldn't use us. You wouldn't use us. But he uses us. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. That he invites us into this work, into representing him. We've been entrusted with the good news. And let me tell you this, this is an absolute fact. People are going to get saved as Jesus communicates who he is to them through your life. That is the primary way that people are going to get saved is through mundane, regular, normal, everyday, one-on-one relationships. That is the primary way that people get saved. Allow me to demonstrate. By show of hands, how many of you were saved through an event like a Billy Graham crusade or a harvest crusade, one of those big crusades? Raise your hand, please. Okay, keep them up. One, two, three, four, five people out of 600. Praise the Lord. Praise God for them. Five out of 600. How many of you were saved because you showed up at church one day And you responded to the gospel, and where you got saved was at church because you were in church. Raise your hand. Okay, keep them up, please. People look around. There's about 50, 70, maybe, out of 600. How many of you were saved because you knew a Christian who demonstrated to you Jesus Christ? Raise your hands. People look around, please. People look around the overwhelming majority of humans that are saved are saved through mundane normal everyday one-on-one relationships if we leave it to billy graham and greg glory the world will not be saved god bless them if we leave it just up to church services the world will not be redeemed though we need them the gospel has been entrusted to individuals it's in our hands. Amen. The vast majority of you have been saved because somebody responded to the invitation of Jesus Christ to represent Him in His glory and His mercy. Amen. And that is why now you're not going to hell, you're going to heaven. Aren't you glad that somebody responded to the invitation? Aren't you glad that somebody was faithful and heard the clarion call of Christ to represent Him to a lost and dying and falling world? I want you to notice how Peter's boat becomes a platform. Verse three, and he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little way from land. Notice when it changes from a boat to a platform from which Jesus teaches. It didn't become the platform until it was pushed away from the multitude. Jesus was not instructing through Peter's livelihood until it was pushed away from the multitude. Not pushed away in the sense of relationship, not broken relationship, but pushed away in the sense of distinction. It was no longer just one of the crowd. It was moved away from the crowd. It was like salt, and light. It was distinct. It was marked. It was obvious and it was clear there was something, it wasn't part of the crowd anymore. That is when our lives become a platform through which Jesus teaches others about himself. It's when we're a little bit different than the crowd. And let me just say, as much as Christians want to be like the world, that is not what we're supposed to be. We are in the world to be sure, but we're not to be of the world. We're to be salt. We're to be light. There's to be a distinction to our lives that separates us from the crowd. Not in the sense of relationship. We are to be deeply engaged in relationship with people. But there's something. There is to be the noticeable, discernible quality of Christ in our lives. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't happen unless you cultivate intimacy with Him. It doesn't happen unless you spend time with Him. Have you ever noticed how best friends become like one another? Have you ever noticed that? And husband and wives just kind of morph. Have you ever noticed that? It's true. Yeah, you guys are cute looking at each other. Practically twins. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you become like him. The better able you are to represent him. Our lives are to be distinct. Now, our lives are to be distinct in holiness, to be sure. We're called out of. We're to be separate. We're not to engage in the same sort of sinful things that the world engages in. So, so we do need to be distinct in the sense of holiness and impurity, but there's another way that we need to be distinct. We need to be distinct by modeling the forgiveness of Jesus Christ because we will fail. No question about it, we will fail. Our, 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 our witness in the world cannot be dependent on holiness alone because we are cheesy. We will fail. But when we fail, we must model the forgiveness of God and the grace of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the victory of the cross. That that pattern of sin is broken in our lives. And once I was blind, now I see. Once I was in bondage, now I'm free. That's got to be modeled for the world. Yes, holiness, but also reconciliation and restoration in the midst of failure because we will fail. And it's great for the world to see a God who forgives. And the power of that forgiveness functioning in our lives. Now that is salt and that is light. That is distinctive. That is noticeable. That is valuable. And that is a privilege. That's a privilege that we get to represent the cross of Jesus Christ. Both in its purifying effect. And in the grace that is extended through it. Is Jesus teaching from your life? mundane, everyday, what you do and who you're around. Is Jesus teaching from your life? Because let me say this. Somebody is teaching from your life. Your life exudes a message to those who know you. What is the message? Your life exudes a message. What is the message? This is a terrifying and yet wonderful truth. You may be the only Bible some people ever read. All that somebody that you work with or go to school with or in family with, whatever, all that they may ever know about Jesus might come through your life and what they see and hear and experience. Now, that is terrifying, but that is wonderful, because what better message for our lives to exude than the message of grace and forgiveness and healing and wholeness through Jesus Christ? What better one to represent? Now, we have not been left powerless in this endeavor. We have the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. We have the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, when my Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses. If you don't know if you have the power of the person of the Holy Spirit, then today, during the aftertime of worship, you ask the Father for it. Father, I need the promise of the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit today. Because you've called me to represent you in all your glory and your wonder and your grace. And I'm unworthy and I'm unable. But come by your Holy Spirit and transform my life. Come with your consuming fire and do a wonderful work that I can rightly represent you. Now, I want you to notice... That the Lord asked Peter to push out from the crowd. He didn't ask him about getting in the boat, the Lord just did it. The King commandeered the boat. But then, once he was in the boat, he asked him to do this. Once he stepped into Peter's world, he involved Peter in God's work. Now, you see, are you willing to let Jesus enter into the mundane? And you need to know that once he enters into your usual life, he's going to want to engage you in his work. And he will ask you some very simple things. All he said to Peter was, Hey, Peter, can you just push out a little way from the shore? It wasn't a big thing. Peter had done it a billion times. It wasn't a big thing, but it was a purposeful thing. It may not have even made sense to Peter. What? Why? What? I just came in. I'm mending the nets. Why push away the boat? That doesn't make any sense. We're pulled in the harbor here. What? Peter just pushed away a little bit. He just asked him just to do a little tiny thing. But note this very carefully. Peter's choice to obey in this little thing would open the door to some very big things. This was a pivotal moment in Peter's formerly mundane life. What is Jesus asking you to do? It may not make a whole lot of sense. It may be a very little thing. It may be very easily uh, rationalized away by you. But tune your ears to hear the voice of the Lord. What is he asking you to do in your livelihood? Peter's choice here was pivotal and it would open up the doors for some very big things. Jesus only ever taught two things about ministry in my opinion. One is that the greatest in the kingdom of God shall make himself the servant of all. You want to be involved in God's work, you have to be a servant, period. You're not a servant, you're not going to be involved in God's work, period. You've got to serve people. You've got to humble yourself and serve people. It's the first lesson. The second lesson that Jesus taught about ministry was this. If you're faithful with the little things, you will be entrusted with more. He said in Luke 19, 17, Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority. We are called as Christians to be faithful with the little things first before God will entrust us with bigger things. And there's no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. It is required of a steward that he be found as trustworthy, Corinthians says. And so the Lord, in the very right sense, will test us. He will ask us to do very little things. And we are to prove ourselves faithful. I mean, he's very graceful, but he's not a fool. He's not going to entrust the untrustworthy person with big things in the kingdom of God. He's just not going to do it. You've been faithful in the little things, I will entrust you with more. What little thing is the Lord asking you to do? And are you doing it? Let me say, you may be very surprised when you discover what those little things are. We often don't even realize. In fact, we almost never realize that it's the Lord engaging us and testing us. I mean, Peter wouldn't have thought that push away from the shore. Fine. What? What? But his obedience was absolutely pivotal. And because he was faithful, he would be entrusted with some very big things. He would emerge as a primary leader of the church after the ascension of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's huge. You would be very surprised to find out what the little things are. When the Lord wants to entrust you with ministry, he will test you in all sorts of little ways. How you deal with finances, how you deal with people, Pivotal conversations, resources, an opportunity to receive glory unto yourself or give it to God, an opportunity to sacrifice on somebody's behalf. They're daily because God is in your daily life. They're little daily things that if you don't open up your eyes to the reality of the kingdom of God, if you don't tune in, you altogether miss them and God's work continues on and you're on the sideline. And that's no fun. I want to go on a journey with Jesus. But he calls us to be faithful in the little things before we're entrusted with more. Verse four now. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your bidding, or it can be translated word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Notice, now that Peter has been faithful in a little thing, Jesus is going to invite invite him into a deeper thing. Now that he was faithful in the little thing, he invites him into a bigger thing, a deeper thing. He says, push out a little bit more now, Peter, and let down the nets. Now when he asked Peter to let down the nets, is when Jesus was finished teaching. Did you notice that? And when he was finished teaching, he said, okay, Peter, let's go deeper. I'm done now. Let's go deeper. Push out a little further and let down the nets. Now, the deep water and the nets are, in my mind, a picture of the gospel message. The deep water and the nets are a picture of the gospel message. There comes a time in the witness of our lives where we've got to let down the net of the gospel to take up the catch. You know, some theologian of time past, I remember his name, but I don't want to mention him. He said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. And that's cool. What he means is live a life that exudes Jesus Christ. But cheesy Christians commandeer that saying all the time. And they say, oh, I just let my life do all the speaking. I'm not really one to verbalize the gospel. Hey. If you just let your life do all the speaking, you're exuding an incomplete message because it doesn't really make sense without the gospel. It doesn't make sense without the gospel message. It's deep water, I know. It's scary. <laughs> it really is, especially in the one-on-one context. I can preach the gospel before thousands. I don't sweat it by the grace of God. You put me in a coffee shop with one person here in Carpinteria, and I'm like, oh... Okay, what's the gospel again? What is it again? Okay, um, okay, uh, hey, you gotta recognize that you're a sinner. You gotta recognize you're a sinner. What else? Um, realize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And, um, there's a third R. What is it? Repent of your sins and then, um, R, R. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's difficult, I know. Even I forget the gospel in the one on one context, it's so scary. But I've come up with these little four R's that help me remember. (laughs) Recognize that you're a sinner, Romans 3.23 says you are. Realize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, the Bible says he did. Repent of your sins, Acts 3.19 says we ought to. And receive Jesus Christ as Lord, John 1.12 says we should. And then we become children of God. Now I just verbalize that message in 10 seconds. It's a very simple message, children can understand it. But kings run to it. It's a simple and yet glorious message. It's scary, I know, because there's relational risk involved when we do that in our everyday life. But Jesus has called us into that risk. Do you remember Sir Sir Ernest Shackleton's ad? It was a risky trip, but it was a wonderful one. And there's relational risk, to be sure, as we engage in the work of Jesus. But it's a glorious gospel. And unless we verbalize the gospel in some way, at some time, we give an incomplete message. What does Romans chapter 10 say? Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. And faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How are people saved? By grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8 says. Well, how do they get faith? Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Yes, our lives have to exude a message. But there comes a time where Jesus says, okay, let's go a little deeper. Let out your nets in deeper water. And that's the gospel message, which is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16. It is the power of God unto salvation. There is power invested in that message. There's not power invested in the philosophies of men, the cute stories of men. There is power invested in the message of the gospel. And when we let it down, it is a net that does its work by the Holy Spirit and it captures the hearts of men and women. Can I get a witness? Yeah. It captures the heart of men and women. I'm just going to challenge you as your pastor who loves you, who has been thusly challenged in my life as well. There must come a time where you verbalize a gospel message to others. Not everybody's called to preach like I preach. Not everybody has a gift of evangelism. That's fine. Every Christian is called to verbalize the good news. If we don't, we are in error. I say that extending the grace of God to you. But we are in error if we fail to do so. Jesus has already sent you. How shall they hear unless someone is sent to tell them. Jesus has already sent you. It's just where you are. But are you willing to push out from the multitude just a little? Are you willing to let Jesus speak through your life? Are you willing to let down the net, just take a big risk and just say, okay, here's how you get to heaven. Here it is, four little r's. Here's how you get to heaven. Now, when Peter let down the nets, I want you to note that it was more fruitful than he ever imagined. He never had a catch like that. When he let down the nets... It was more fruitful than he ever imagined. Notice that there was some resistance initially. Lord, we've been fishing all night. It's daytime now. We don't fish during the day. Hello. We fish at night here in Israel. We've been fishing all night. We've already tried this. We didn't catch anything. Jesus, you do the teaching. I'll do the fishing. And we'll have a great relationship, okay? I'm a fisherman. You're a rabbi. But then he acquiesced. Then he obeyed. Then he came to his senses and he said, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the nets. There was, to be sure, a resistance initially in his heart. But then he chose... To obey Jesus Christ. And that choice of obedience yielded more fruit in his life than he'd ever imagined or seen before. He never knew such fruitful living until he chose to obey the living God. Mark it well, Christian. Because we seldom believe it. We are always satisfied to just get by. But the example of this historical account is Peter never knew such fruitful living until he obeyed the living God, the fruit of obedience. And also he discovered the harvest that was prepared. He never would have known that there was all those fish right there on the side of the boat. I'll tell you why they were there. Because Jesus Christ prepared that harvest. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And while Jesus was teaching, he was preparing a harvest to be reaped. While Jesus was teaching from Peter's boat, when He speaks to people through our lives, He's always preparing a harvest because He saves people. Amen. And He's a willing Savior. And that's His mission. And that's what He wants to do. And He's speaking to people through your life. And while He's speaking through your life, He's preparing a catch. There was a harvest that was prepared by the Lord. He's a Lord of the harvest. Peter just had to let down the nets. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's already prepared a harvest around your life. If you're his, your life has purpose and meaning. He wants to use you. If you're still alive, he's beckoning you to engage in his mission, in his work, in his kingdom. Nevertheless, At thy word, will you surrender? When the Lord prompts your little heart just a little bit, it might be, hey, pray for that person that you work next to. He's hurting. Man, his relationship with his wife is so messed up. His teenage son is doing drugs. He's in rebellion. He's got depression. He's suffering from guilt, shame, whatever it is. Maybe the Lord's just calling you to a little step. Hey, just pray for him or tell him you're praying for him or share with him a passage of scripture. Or why don't you just introduce him to the king? Just a little step. Now, then I want to ask you not only if you're willing, but are you willing to persevere in that then? Are you willing to be a consistent witness? A consistent witness, not a one-time witness. Sometimes we're like that. You know, we work up the guts and and we got the unction of the Holy Spirit and we preach the gospel to someone and they say no. And we're like, fine, go to hell, see if I care. I did my part. What, Lord? I told him already. I just told him what it is, and he said no. So he's going to hell. What do I care? Now that's wrong, isn't it? You see, if we're if we're going to be men and women after God's own heart, our hearts are going to break for these individuals, and we're going to persevere. I was invited to uh, several years ago to take part in a Billy Graham seminar. It was a school of evangelism out of North Park Theological Seminary for a couple weeks. And when I was there, one of the things they told us is this, and I don't know how they got their, their data. I don't know exactly, but it was North Park Theological Seminary. They've got a good reputation as a Billy Graham evangelist nation. Evangelization organization, good reputation, I believe it. They said this. The average American has to hear the gospel presented clearly 30 times before they respond. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but let's not give it the benefit of the doubt and let's say no, and we'll cut it in half by 50%. The average American has to hear the gospel presented clearly 15 times before they respond. Let's say no. Cut it in half again. The average American has to hear the gospel presented seven times before they respond. Let's say no. The average American has to hear the gospel three and a half times before they respond. Are you willing to persevere Are you willing to be a consistent witness for Jesus Christ? Sometimes we've got to pray, God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. God, give me a heart for the lost. Give me a passion for the lost. That's got to be a prayer because in and of ourselves, we're not those people. That's got to be a prayer. You've got to endeavor in prayer to seek after the heart of God for others. And I I shudder to think how often we come up one net short. Peter's nets had been out all night long. The Lord said, just one more time, Peter. Peter. Peter, just one more time. I tell you, the world would have been different if Peter said no. How tragic it would have been if Peter came up one net short. You see, he never would have known the power of God if he said no to God at this moment. And it was in obedience that he discovered who Jesus really was. And look at his response in verse 8. But Simon Peter saw that, And he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him because of the catch of fish. Peter had just had a profound experience with God. It amazed him, and it humbled him. It humbled him. There's nothing more humbling than being used by God as God moves powerfully in the world around you. It's the most glorious thing. And it will humble us. Peter was humbled in the presence of God like Isaiah was in Isaiah chapter 6. Just had a fresh vision of who God was. But he didn't have that revelation of Jesus until he obeyed Jesus. So many Christians are so lukewarm and they don't see any reason to be otherwise. It's because they don't obey. And so they don't really see the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart. It means undivided, singular, devoted. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are those who say yes to God for they will see him in greater degree. And when Peter said yes, his mind was blown and his heart was given. He humbled himself before the Lord. He was so humbled, he was willing to say, Lord, just I, you're too much for me. I can't be involved for you. You're too awesome. You're too awesome. And then the Lord says at the end of verse 10, Don't fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It's too much for me, Lord, that you would want to use me in your work. And the Lord says, Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. Several weeks ago when he invited Peter into his work, he said, Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Now, did you ever notice in the Bible how unless the Lord was present, the disciples never caught a dang thing? (laughs) They knew what it meant to be fishermen. Perhaps it wasn't that excited to be a fisher of men. Now, Peter, when Jesus stepped into his life in a fresh way, knew what it meant to catch fish. And when God said, Peter, are you amazed at this catch of fish? Wait till you see the catch of men that's going to come through your life. Big difference between fishing and catching. And Peter said, Catching? Okay, Lord. And Peter left everything and followed him. Men and women whom I love, are you willing to let Jesus in your boat? Will you endeavor to be faithful in the little things? Will you surrender, nevertheless, at thy word? Will you let down the net of the gospel? Will you follow Jesus? Will you respond to Christ's invitation to be part of the greatest journey the world has ever known? Will you? Peter had to decide the decision is yours. But the Lord is calling, the Lord is beckoning. And it's an incredible and perilous journey. By the way, Sir Ernest Shackleton, he made that 800 mile open boat journey. And he got another crew together. And he sailed all the way back to Antarctica and he met his men there and he rescued every single one of them. Not one man was lost in the journey. And Jesus says to you and I after inviting us into the journey, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Wow, Lord. This is cool, Lord. This is really exciting. This is life. This is living. This is a kingdom of God crashing into our worlds. This is good, Lord. And Lord, we just ask now that you would help us to surrender, that you would birth in our hearts even a willingness to let you step into the mundane things of life. Even more than a willingness, that you would work in us an expectation that you're going to be there. An expectation that you want to do more than we ever thought possible. And Lord, work in a sweet surrender. Oh, we dig in our heels, we argue and we resist, because we want to build our own kingdoms. But Lord, work in a sweet surrender. to so surrender to your word and to your will, to let our lives count for something. To be of heavenly value, Lord. Lord, work this in us now. Holy Spirit, come. And work the word of God deep into our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Work the word of God deep into our hearts that it might blossom there and bear fruit some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Christians, if you need help today, the prayer team is up here. If you want to surrender before the Lord, you can come and get on your face up here.